0: What do medical surveys, being a witness, and a reviewer have in common? They all allow you to earn some extra income while utilizing your medical degree. It's not always about cutting costs out of your life. You can always make some extra cash on the side. Let us show you how. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Before we jump into the show, let's hear a quick message from our sponsor. Over 2 million people are earning money by hosting on Airbnb. Airbnb. It's free to list, and Airbnb has a tool that'll help you price your place just right. If you're worried about your property when you list with them, don't be. Airbnb offers something called a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. And here's the deal. You're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Your home, your rules. Host when you want and how you want. You can list one bedroom or the entire place. It's totally up to you. So whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might be one of the best investments you haven't made yet. When you go to financialresidency.com slash Airbnb and start hosting, you're gonna receive a $100 cash bonus if you generate $500 in booking value by December 31st. Of course, terms and conditions apply. My guest is Dr. John Ramey and he is passionate about making money on the side. Whether it's with his company, DrMoves.com, or through his practice, he pursues other avenues of side income with his medical degree. Sharing his success with taking one survey a day, as well as his pursuit of medical expert witness work, you too can find out how to draw in the big bucks while trading some of your time answering some questions. If you've got the desire to make some extra money, you're going to love listening to Dr. Amy as he will tell you the best ways to go about it. John, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to have you here.
1: Well, Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to doing this for a while.
0: Yeah, this is going to be super fun. We've connected a while back through our Facebook group and those that aren't in it, you can join us at financialresidency.com slash community. And we were talking back and forth. You have a passion for earning extra income as a physician. You guys are doing some really cool stuff on the real estate side. And I thought this would be a perfect fit to have you on the show and talk about ways that physicians can earn extra income.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to share all of my knowledge.
0: All the secrets coming out. I love it. Let's just open this up, get right to it. Like, What are some of the ways that physicians could earn some extra income using their medical degree?
1: Let me step back a little bit. I finished medical school in 2000. And during residency, like most other residents had a lot of loans and wasn't making a lot of money. So I was trying to figure out ways to make extra money other than moonlighting. You know, I'd started getting these medical surveys in the email. And so I got an idea with one of my other friends who was in OBGYN residency that we would Google search other survey companies. And at that time, we went through and did a Google search. We found about probably 20 different companies. And we went online and applied with all these companies. So since about 2000, so about 19 years, I've been doing a lot of medical surveys. That was one of the ways that DR Moves got its start was to share with other people how to make extra income. And you know, medical surveys, expert witnessing, also being a medical reviewer are some of the ways I've done it over the
0: years. Awesome. Yeah. Taylor gets these things all the time that she goes and does surveys and then we get a 15 or a 20 or $25 check. Every once in a while, they'll send us like a $50 like Amazon gift card. I'll look at Amazon I'm like, where do we get that? And she goes, oh, I did some survey a while back and like, sweet. Sounds awesome. So she doesn't take it like super serious, but I know there are people that do that. Let's start with the medical surveys and then we'll hit the expert witness in the medical review piece, but let's talk about surveys. So how do you find these like what do they usually ask? How do you qualify for those things? I mean, there's a whole list of questions we can go into.
1: There's probably at least over 30 different companies out there that do these medical surveys and what they're doing typically are partnering up with pharmaceutical companies to get information from doctors. These surveys, there can be a lot of different things. They can be trying to figure out how much physician is going to use a new medicine and compared to other medicines already on the market. It could be a survey to figure out a new name of a medication. So they'll send you these sound files of 20 different names they're thinking about for the medicine and ask you, what does this sound like? Does this is having negative connotations. Does this is positive connotations and spend 30 minutes for that. Some of these are not surveys online. A lot of these are phone interviews. So I do usually two or three phone interviews a week with pharmaceutical companies and the companies trying to get more information about these medications.
0: Two to three week. That sounds kind of crazy considering like I just see a little bit about what Taylor's doing. I have a couple of clients that do some stuff too, but how are you finding all of those to generate a couple a week?
1: It goes back to what I shared with the residency. I compiled a list a long time ago and you know the first step to being able to do them is doing the online application with the companies. On our website, drmoves.com, we have a link to all the different survey companies. And I get a lot of doctors asking me, well, which ones should I sign up for? And what I always tell them is, if you really want to do it, you sign up with all of them because each company is different in the amount of surveys they get. Each company is different in which specialties they work with. I've found over the years, the best thing to do is just sign up with all of them. And whenever they get a survey for your specialty, you will typically get an email saying, hey, this is the survey. And you'll typically have to get through a screener To see if you qualify or not.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And we've got a link to financialresidency.com slash drmoves as John and his wife are listed on our resources page because they're doing such great things in the medical community for the medical community. And we'll get to some more about that towards the end here. But you're literally signed up for like 30 of these. Do you get spammed a lot? Are they good at filtering what your specialty is and what you could actually help them with?
1: I think most of them are pretty good about that. You feel like the applications, they always ask your specialty. So most of the companies only send you surveys for your specialty because they really don't want you going in there. If you're, I'm an allergist, for example, and they don't want me to do a survey on orthopedics, which I know nothing about. So they really try not to send you other specialty surveys. But there are a few companies that send me other specialties. And, you know, I kind of delete those when I get it. Just to give you an idea, this year I've done 146 of these surveys last year, looking at my spreadsheet right now, I did about 227. So almost one a day That's what I've averaged. And what I've found talking to people, I haven't found many other people that are getting as many opportunities. So I really feel like it's especially dependent on the amount of surveys you get. And if you're prescribing more medicines, I find that you're more likely to get more of these surveys.
0: Interesting. You don't have to tell exact numbers, but what would that translate into in terms of like income? How much time are you putting in to get 150 surveys this year and what does that kind of come out to?
1: I mean, there's a couple answers to that. So the first thing I've started to do more recently is I look at what they're paying. I have stopped doing any surveys unless they're paying at least $2 a minute. So that comes out to, you know, $120 an hour. Some will pay 300 to 350 an hour. So wow. um, I ignore the ones that are giving me $60 an hour just because they're not worth my time anymore. So that's the first thing I've started to do is look at what they're paid. Second, you know, I'm only doing these when I have free time. So most of the time is at night when I'm sitting watching TV or hanging out or whatever. It's during my free time. So it'd be time when I'm not working or doing other things. So it's a nice way to make extra income when you wouldn't be making extra income. So that's kind of how I go about it, deciding whether or not, you know, it's worth my time to do them.
0: Gotcha. I have a client that he's a surgeon. He does this thing, C-Stats on the side, where it's like critiquing other surgeons' skill and capability and whatever procedure they're doing. And he's like, yeah, they're on the TV. The kids are asleep. I'm in my boxers. I'm just plugging away, like watching cool surgeries, and I get paid for it. It's such a neat yeah, thing.
1: Exactly. I actually I'm at the beach with my family and, you know, I'll take my phone out to the beach sometimes and sit there. Some of these survey companies have apps and I'll just sit on the app and do a survey when you know I'm not doing anything else. So they're pretty easy to do and I wouldn't be working. It would be times, you know, when I'd be working. So it's really when I have time to make a little bit extra money. One of your other questions was how much can you make? You know, I've been doing this since around two thousand. I probably have averaged between fifteen to twenty thousand a year doing these surveys.
0: That's amazing. What you're doing in the mass you're doing it does take some time and effort to put into it. But it's not a lot of time and effort to do that. And that, especially early in your career, that kind of income can really crush that student debt. So if you're out there and you're trying to think of like how you could do things a bit differently or how you could pay off debt quicker without having a change in lifestyle, that's definitely one of them. I appreciate you going into that. So let's talk a little bit about being an expert witness. How do you get into this and how do you qualify for those things? I'm genuinely curious to know The step by step on that.
1: I'll say this I haven't done as many expert witnessing gigs as I have surveys over the years. (laughs) Doing the surveys, exactly. And one more thing to add about the surveys is two things. One, you know, on average, I probably spend 30 minutes to an hour a day doing a survey. So it's not taking up a lot of time over the year. So that's one thing. And then going back to the spreadsheets, one thing I have found is it's important. A lot of these surveys companies don't pay you for four to eight weeks. And so it's important to track that they pay you because I've had to go back months later and say, hey, I never received payment for these surveys. So I think it's real important just to track that you get paid once that you do them also. That's my main reason for the spreadsheet. Getting back to the expert witnesses. The first thing I would say with being an expert witness is either establishing relationships in your city with attorneys who do this type of work. There are also websites, national websites, where you can download your experience and your resume and the cases you've done to get people to call you. What I've found has been the most important is just getting a local presence. Because if you do a good job for a local attorney, then they'll share your name with other attorneys to use you in the future.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes sense actually networking around if this is what you're going to do cuz this isn't like you could be hanging out at your house with your feet up watching TV doing this like obviously you're going in and there's a lot of work involved with this and so face to face networking is a ways to essentially start that and you know when you're being an expert witness what does that typically pay
1: There's three parts to being an expert witness some of it is propping your feet up and doing it at home so the first step is An attorney contacts you, they say, this is the case that I have. They'll usually want to set up a 15 to 30 minute phone call just to check you out and see if you're interested. You know, If that goes well, then you will typically sign an agreement with the attorney and you will tell them your rates. And I've been advised and what I do is set three different rates. I set one rate for reviewing records. I set another rate for doing a deposition. And then I set another rate if I have to go to trial. Each of those rates is a little bit more. And I think, again, it goes with your specialty. Some specialties pay a lot better than the others. So talking to people in your specialty to find out what they're charging is probably the best way to go about it so that you can you know set great rates. Another thing that's important for the deposition and the trial, saying that they have to pay you for an entire day or at least a half a day. Because a lot of times you have to travel, you have to miss seeing patients for that. So deposition may only be an hour, but to be available, you have to cancel a whole morning of a patient. So upfront, say for a deposition, this is my hourly late and I only do a minimum of four hours.
0: That's great advice to make sure you're setting your rates correctly, because if you're giving up income on one, you have to earn that plus more to do what they want you to do. Correct. So it's that opportunity cost and make sure that you're setting yourself up for success in that.
1: Let me say one more thing about being an expert witness. What I found is where you make the biggest amount of money is reviewing the records. They'll send you a notebook size of records and they expect you to review everything in that file and you charge for any time that you spend reviewing that, and then you charge for any time you spend on the phone talking to the attorney about it. That's usually over, you know, several months that you get the opportunity to review the records. So you really have to track how much time you're spending doing that. So again, that's where usually the most of the money comes. Sometimes you'll just review the records and the case will never even go to deposition. I've never had to go to trial yet. So the majority of the time it's just reviewing records and then going to deposition. A lot of times you don't have to go to trial when you're doing these cases.
0: Yeah, that's excellent advice right there. So again, make sure you're charging enough. And if you know what you're doing and how you get it all set up, make sure you're tracking your time accordingly. And you might have to bust out a spreadsheet or two in order to keep track of that. But there's some softwares online that can do that as well.
1: And you can ask for a retainer up front. So that's another thing I recommend is asking for a retainer up front so you have some money up front in case for whatever reason they decide not to pay you, or try not to pay you, you got money up front.
0: Great advice. So let's go to the medical reviewers as one of the other pieces of this puzzle here of earning extra income. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and some resources to get started?
1: The medical reviews is a lot like doing surveys. To get involved, you just have to go to the websites that are listed on DR Moves and sign up with most of the companies. You may want to start with only three or four and get signed up with them, but Again, each company is different in the volume of medical reviews they're doing, and they're also different with the specialists they work with. So, you know, another strategy is before wasting your time filling out a lot of applications, calling the company up and say, Hey, I'm an allergist. What's your volume for allergists? And they may say, Hey, I only typically get one or two reviews a year. Probably don't want to waste your time signing up with that company. If they say, Hey, I get one or two reviews a week, it may be worth your time signing up. So, that's the first part, signing up with these companies. Once you've signed up and gotten all the documentation, they'll typically send you an email and say, hey, this is the case we are reviewing. This is how long we expect it to take. And this is how much we're going to pay you for it. So they'll say 30 minutes and you typically already have a set rate with that company. So you'll just have to decide whether or not you have time to do it because usually they're wanting uh, you know it turn around in 24 hours.
0: Okay, so they're a much quicker turnaround than when you're looking at surveys?
1: So they usually pay pretty well. They pay you know every two weeks or once a month. So the payments a lot of times came a little bit quicker. But yeah, the turnaround, sometimes they give you two to three days to do it. But usually it's pretty quick. It's not like you can wait a week or two to do them.
0: So these are three really good ways. And I know there's several other ones like telemedicine and a couple other things that go in that you can use your medical degree to earn extra income. But what's fascinating about you guys is that you're also using real estate to earn some extra income. We've done shows in the past about how to invest in real estate and all that stuff, but your wife is a realtor and you guys specialize in helping physicians move, hence the name Dr. Moves. I'm curious in getting your take on what are some of the common mistakes that physicians make when interacting with a realtor?
1: We could do a whole show on this one, but We might. If you
0: twist your wife's arm to get her on, we might do a whole show on it.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I actually have my real estate license also. I've had it for over 10 years. And so we have a local real estate company in Charleston, South Carolina. And then we also with DR Moves help physicians find awesome realtors. But I think the biggest mistake is, just like when you go see a doctor, it's always smart to ask friends And family, and then check out online reviews about a doctor, how they are, what's their bedside manner. If you're having surgery with them, how do they do with surgery? You know, really make an educated decision. Same thing with picking a realtor or financial planner is talking to people, finding people that have worked with this realtor before, finding people that have had good experiences. And then for physicians, especially finding a realtor that has experience working with doctors. There's a big difference when you're moving as a physician versus just for a regular job. I mean, you want to find a place, hopefully, that's close to your hospital or job. A lot of times there are restrictions on how far away you can be. There's doctor loans that a lot of realtors don't even know that they exist. And so finding a realtor that works with doctors and knows about doctor loans is a huge part of picking a good realtor.
0: In the physician loan, we've had you know, a show on it and we've written a bunch at financialresidency.com, but essentially the super high level for those that maybe haven't heard those, which I encourage you to go check out, You know, essentially it's a, it's a loan that you're going to get for your house. But if you can't put the full 20% down to get what's called a conventional loan, typically most people would have to pay what's called PMI, which is private mortgage insurance. But with physicians, you can put as little as 0% down. And not have to pay that extra cost, that extra PMI. They charge you a little bit extra interest rate, not that much for actually the benefits you're getting. And it's because the banks understand and know that physicians are used to debt and they're good at paying it back. So they have created this program specifically for physicians. John, is there any other common mistakes that jump out at you with physicians when they're interacting with realtors? Yeah,
1: you know, this is one of my passions. And one of the reasons my wife and I got into real estate is that we had several bad realtors and bad interactions when we were searching for homes during medical school and residency. And so that was one of the reasons we've done all this is that we don't want people to have the same experience that we have had. You know, just a couple of quick tips. When you're in residency, most of the time the house you're picking is not going to be your forever home. Most of the time it's going to be a house you live in three to five years. Pick a house that you can resell easily, hopefully in three to five years. A lot of times it makes sense to pick a neighborhood where a lot of other residents live because residents are looking after match day. They probably want to be in that same neighborhood. You know, if you pick a neighborhood where residents don't live, you may have a harder time reselling in three to five years. A case example that I can give you recently, we recently had two clients in the Charleston area that were residents and they didn't pick in such great areas. Well, it was very frustrating for them because it took a lot longer and a lot more stress for them to get their houses sold when they were moving. Another common mistake is when the residents get ready to move is that typically they're in a hurry to sell their house. They can't wait a month or two because they don't have the income you know, to make extra mortgage payments. Well, that ends up hurting them in the end because a lot of these residents take tens of thousands of dollars less for their house because they have to sell quickly. So, you know, setting yourself up for success, maybe having a little bit of extra money so when you get ready to sell your house, that you can wait it out a little bit so that you maybe instead of saving the thousand to two thousand dollars for your mortgage payment, you can wait it out and hopefully get ten to twenty, 000, thirty thousand dollars more for your house because you're willing to wait for the right buyer. So those are, you know, just a few things we see with residents and some of the mistakes they make.
0: And kind of piggybacking off that, now everyone knows how much I love real estate and we invest personally and my whole family's in it. But sometimes buying a home isn't your best option. That's a very personal decision. You have to weigh out the pros and cons and getting that through a show like this or really anywhere on the internet, through a blog post or whatever. No one knows your situation like you guys do. Just make sure that if you are buying a house, that it is in your best interest and that you aren't overextending and buying that doctor home, your forever home right away. Because just like John said, most of the time you end up moving and most time you end up taking a new job within a few years, right out of training. So don't overextend in that and location matters a ton. And I think John hit on a couple great points with that. So John, as we wrap up here, I know that I said that Dr. Moves is listed on the resources page of financial residency because I love what you guys are doing. And I encourage everyone to check it out. Financialresidency.com slash Dr. Moves, M O V E S. Where else can people hear about you? What else are you doing? Tell us kind of what's coming up in your world.
1: Like I said, I'm a practicing allergist immunologist. I see patients four days a week. My other three days a week, I'm doing a lot with DR moves, and then our local real estate company is called Healthy Realty. Um, you know, we've helped several hundred doctors move to the Charleston area over the last 13 years. So that's a big passion of mine too is helping you know the local physicians here and. It's been really neat to get to know a lot of new doctors through that, that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to get to know. So, um, you know, anything real estate related, I have a passion for. And I agree with you, Ryan, that buying a house is not for everybody. Some people, the best decision they can ever make is the rent. Some people are not homeowners and don't know how to take care of a home. Also, you know, a home can be a, a great investment. I don't see a lot of doctors thinking that, you know, their first or second home Instead of selling it, they can turn it into a you know a rental. And that's one of the best things I've seen a lot of doctors do that they turn their previous homes into a cash flowing rental property. We could do, you know, a whole show just on that topic. But you know, you gotta think outside the box sometimes too when you're looking at real estate that your current home may be a great rental property for you later down the road.
0: Exactly. And it's one of the things that we've looked at doing several times that we've moved around, but we ended up always selling and reinvesting back in rentals specifically but yeah if you underwrite it you look at it as hey i'm buying this house it's great we're gonna live here and if we choose to move like can we rent this actually running the comps and having the realtor run the rentals in your current area for the house you're about to buy and just see like does it make sense with the amount of mortgage you have to take out you know and then there's obviously repairs and maintenance and all the other fun stuff that goes into it but that's not for everyone and it's even for fewer people are even meant to be landlords, so you obviously have to ask yourself that question as well. But John, thank you so much for being on. It's a pleasure to have you here, and I hope that I can convince your wife to jump on the show and talk to us more about investing in real estate.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for having me.
0: Many thanks to Dr. Ramy for being on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it along with our journal club. Here are the final four takeaways that I'd like you to walk away with. First, there are plenty of opportunities for physicians to make money with medical surveys. And there aren't any two surveys alike. Dr. Ramey shares a little bit about them from his personal experience.
1: These surveys, they can be a lot of different things. They can be trying to figure out how much physician is going to use a new medicine and compare to other medicines already on the market. It could be a survey to figure out a new name of a medication. So they'll send you these sound files of 20 different names they're thinking about for the medicine and ask you what does this is sound like? This is having negative connotations. This is positive connotations and spend 30 minutes for that. Some of these are not surveys online, a lot of these are phone interviews.
0: For being called on as a medical expert witness, be sure you're setting your rates correctly for the deposition or trial or else you're risking not getting compensated in a way that makes sense for you to dedicate time away from your patients.
1: Another thing that's important for the deposition and the trial, saying that they have to pay you for an entire day or at least a half a day, because a lot of times you have to travel, you have to miss seeing patients for that. So deposition may only be an hour, but to be available, you have to cancel a whole morning of patients.
0: Third, becoming a medical reviewer is much like taking medical surveys. Dr. Ramey shared where the best places to go find exactly where and what you're in for when you sign up.
1: The medical reviews is a lot like doing surveys. To get involved, you just have to go to the websites that are listed on DR Moves and sign up with most of the companies.
0: And last, Dr. Ramey then topped off the discussion by giving a few pointers to our listeners about finding and buying a home. He particularly focused on quality of life, resale potential, location, and duration of time that you live in the home. He shared this with us.
1: Pick a house that you can resell easily, hopefully in three to five years. A lot of times it makes sense to pick a neighborhood where a lot of other residents live because residents are looking after match day. They probably want to be in that same neighborhood.
0: And now one of my favorite parts of the show, our community update. What I love most about the last several months is that I've gotten so much feedback from our community about how much you all love the show. And it became even more clear that these are the people who I call our quote unquote super fans. It's brought a whole new level of excitement for me to keep bringing you the best content I can and to try and include all of you and all of your amazing feedback along the way. So if you want to be part of the crew that gets some behind the scenes perks, there are a few ways to get involved. First, let me know if you'd like to review our new book coming out before it's available for order on Amazon. I'll give you a digital copy of the book. You'll have an opportunity to share your feedback and I'll toss in a free t-shirt in the process. So if you wanna be the 10 people that I picked to review, please shoot me an email at ryan at financialresidency.com. Second, I'm actually inviting some people to be on the show. And as a super fan, you get to ask questions, share your insights, and become quote unquote famous on the show. All you need to do is go to financialresidency.com slash superfan and fill out the form. I am personally reaching out to each person who fills out the form to understand more ways that I can also provide you and the community value. I'd love to hear from all of you, so fill out the form and let's do this. It's amazing that you decided to join in on the show. I am honored that you are here because this podcast is about cash flows and budgets and financial goals and all things related to money and the details making those things worth pursuing in real life. While these topics aren't always the sexiest, you're here and that's what matters. We work hard at delivering great information in the podcast, but here's the catch. I don't know anything about you or what your financial needs are. So please consult your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to us, fee-only financial planners, before taking any action or making any decisions affecting your hard-earned money. All right, that's it. Have a great week. See you guys on Friday. Cheers.